to the resting pendulum. I am Peter Codius, your host. Our music is under license from scottholmesmusic.com. Episode 10. Climate Change and the Paris Climate Accords. Chapter 1. Live, Correct, or Leave. Due to the sheer volume of information, Episode 10 will be released in three chapters. As is our custom, we will be presenting verifiable facts along with the resting pendulum opinion. For many people, this is a topic of disagreement for the same reasons that many topics are. However, as we move along, we would all be well served to remember the words of Winston Churchill. The truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it, ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is. Unfortunately for all sides of this argument, the facts become clearer as time passes, yet they are usually ignored. The most difficult obstacle in the opinion of the resting pendulum is the unwillingness to work diligently toward finding consensus. Climate change has become more of a political exercise than an honest attempt at finding common ground and then acting accordingly. The topic is also very difficult to research because the information is very slanted on both sides of the argument. I cannot envision a resting point in this argument being arrived at in my lifetime. Pretty sad, isn't it? We ask that you keep in mind that the resting pendulum will only skim the surface of this argument during episode 10. However, we do believe there is enough here to open a dialogue between you and those on the other side of the argument if you desire. That's another problem that we have in our country. Willful ignorance and the unwillingness to consider any other point of view. We also believe the best way to frame the opening discussion on climate change is to use a direct quote from the recent interrogation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to a gotcha policy, not legal, question posed by Senator Kamala Harris during her questioning by the Judiciary Committee of the United States Senate. The question, and do you believe that climate change is happening and is threatening the air we breathe and the water we drink? Judge Barrett's response was, no, what Democrats have done in an attempt to equate even the remotest scientific fact of climate change with their desired policy prescriptions, which amount to a socialist takeover of the energy economy. End quote. Harris posed a policy question, not a scientific or legal one, and Barrett was absolutely correct in her answer. If we really care about fixing it, 
it has to be severed from the political arena, and the left refuses to consider that. It is always high on their political agenda, and their position is universal. It's in everything they do, and it is their way, or it isn't at all. That is a totalitarian view, not a democratic view. And if the Biden-Harris ticket wins the election next month, as the Temptations song goes, so get ready, because here I come. As vice president of the Obama administration, Joe Biden proudly said, Solyndra is the first recipient of a loan guarantee under the Recovery Act and Title 17 of the Energy Policy Act of 2005. Yet when Solyndra went bankrupt, the Obama administration tried to blame it on Bush because the program was started under the Bush administration, even though no money was granted. And no, I did not make that up. We'll also provide a real-world example of solar panels that have been provided by a close friend of mine that lives in sunny Maricopa County, Arizona, where it is typical to get at least 300 days of full sun per year. And speaking of sunshine, which is crucial for solar to do its job, consider this. There are 8,000 760 hours in a year. The sunniest city in the United States is Phoenix, Arizona, which receives around 3,870 hours per year of sunshine, which is 44% of the day. Since solar has yet to be able to save electricity for later use, 56% of the day in the sunniest city in the country, the use of solar is useless. So what do we use for electric power for homes or businesses for the remaining 56% of the day? Climate models that are questioned. Global warming may be slower than previous. That's the conclusion of some of the world's leading geoscientists who conducted a study that found global warming is occurring more slowly than computer models forecast a decade ago. The study, published in the journal Nature Geoscience, does not contradict the scientists' concerns that global warming is dramatically damaging the environment, but it does suggest that it's not too late to do something about it. Scientists have long held that a 2 degrees Celsius, which equates to 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit, increase in the Earth's temperature would be a tipping point for the environment, and multiple studies have projected that figure to be reached by the end of the century. And when they talk about climate change, they want to blame hurricanes on climate change when factually, hurricanes have always been and will always be with us. So through all of the centuries, 
that they're talking about here, way back to 1700, we've had hurricanes, whether it was cool or warm or hot or cold. It, it's part of the process. According to global warming projections that were collected 10 years ago from 12 separate computer models from universities and government institutes around the world, the planet could emit no more than 70 billion metric tons of carbon after 2015 if we hoped to keep temperatures from rising above the 1.5 degrees Celsius limit. Keep that in mind now. No more than 70 billion metric tons of carbon, carbon being emitted all over the planet after 2015. Okay, That would be to keep the catastrophic effects of climate change from overtaking the Earth. But the study in Nature Geoscience suggests that the forecast may not quite be as dire as the scientists thought. In the words of Miles Allen, a professor of geosystem science at the University of Oxford, and one of that study's authors, he says, we haven't seen that rapid acceleration warming after 2000 that we see in the models. We simply haven't seen that in the observations. So, on September 27th, 2017, in the American Patriot Daily, we see that liberals just came up with another ludicrous theory about global warming. The political left frequently promotes both their environmental ideologies and inventions in the hope people will jump on their clean energy bandwagon. But many times, their global warming theories are just that, theories. And their newest answer might be the most ridiculous yet. Climate change theorists are claiming that a totally natural occurrence is definitive proof that their climate change theories are true. Did you hear that? They're saying that a totally natural occurrence is definitive proof that their climate change theories are true. Well, of course, but their theories are saying it's man-made, not occurring naturally. Warming ocean cycles have recently caused a spike in ocean temperatures, and the far left wants us to believe the change is global warming in action. But the data only further disproves the theory of global warming. The Daily Caller reported, for example, a naturally occurring shift to a warmer Pacific Ocean caused global temperatures to spike in the previous three years and end the hiatus in global warming, according to scientists. The UK's Met Office reports a shift to positive or warmer, get ready for this one, Pacific Decadal Oscillation, PDO, which coincided with the three warmest years on record globally, 2014, 15, and 16. 
Met Office scientists said that the PDO shift caused global temperatures to increase back to levels seen in the 20th century, the implication being that natural forces still play a dominant role in the global climate. So is it natural or is it man-made? And these are comments from scientists. These aren't opinion from me. Yes, strong positive values of the PDO were the main reason we have seen record high global temperatures in the last few years. And this was a, a, a statement that was attributed to climatologist Judith Curry. We are now starting to see the PDO head into negative territory since July of this year. A cool phase of the PDO was largely responsible for the warming hiatus seen in the early years of the 21st century. On top of the warm PDO, I'm going to explain PDO to you in a minute, a strong El Nino began to warm the tropical Pacific way back in 2015. That was the, the year that we, we uh, thought the world was going to end originally that helped to end the hiatus in warming. Overlaying all of this was a warm PDO phase. Both of them are naturally occurring phenomena. I am pleased to see that these multi-decadal oscillations are receiving more attention and credit for various uh, uh, variations in the uh, global temperature, Curry said. F from her perspective, these large-scale ocean oscillations are the intrinsic climate signal with external forcing of CO2 projecting onto these neutral oscillations. The PDO shift warmed the tropics, the U.S. West Coast, and ended the 15-year hiatus or slowdown in global warming. During that time, the global average surface temperature displayed little to no warming, however. So now, to enhance your wokeness, PDO is a robust recurring pattern of ocean atmospheric climate variability centered over the mid-latitude Pacific Basin, which is north of 20 degrees. You got that? Where we are killing our future generations for the sake of our own, get ready, comfort. Money is being thrown at the research that we just talked about. And if the future is of an entire species is dependent on this research, all of this gives birth to a resounding question. Are we meant to save the planet or leave it? The first theory has gained quite a bit of popularity in recent years, according to which we must look for inhabitable places in our universe other than the Earth. A lot of scientists have voted in favor of it as they feel that it's only a matter of time before Earth becomes unsuitable for humans. So my recommendation would, uh, to them would be hop on a, on a plane or a shuttle or a rocket and leave. If you're so worried that we're not going to be able to make it. You know, how many years ago did George Carlin say, God rest his soul. It was here when we got here, and it's going to be here when we leave. 
But as a result, a lot of planets and other heavenly bodies are being searched for positive signs. Researchers hardly had any luck in this regard, but their struggle continues to go on. Why? Because governments and people are pouring money into it. Money. Remember? Money. Money drives everything in our society. You may not want to believe it. You might want to be uh, in that group that says, hell, I'd rather stay naive till I die and believe that these people really care. Well, we're going to talk about that caring in a while as well. Uh, but a lot of prestigious people have supported this idea and have warned mankind that it is a necessity to prevent the extinction of the human race. It's on to you, folks. It's on, it's on you. One of those people, Stephen Hawking, who we know is a very famous science of theoretical physics, brilliant man, who claimed that the future of the human race is possible only in space. In his words, I believe that the long-term future of the human race must be in space. It will be difficult enough to avoid disaster on planet Earth in the next hundred years, let alone the next thousand or million. The human race shouldn't have all of its eggs in one basket or on one planet. Let's hope we can avoid dropping the basket until we have spread the load. Now, you might think that uh, I'm a very narrow-minded, pessimistic person. But in, even though that Mr. Hawking was a very optimistic individual, he repeatedly mentioned that the chance of human survival on Earth are almost non-existent. The most obvious reason for the destruction of Earth is that the sun would boil all the oceans and this would mean the end of our species unless we have some other home in the universe. Now, you want to pick another place in the universe where the sun doesn't affect it? <laughs> you know how cold it's going to be? You worried about warming? Then go to that former planet we call Pluto. You remember that one? The dog? So go to Pluto. You don't have to worry about the sun. Really. You're golden. Global warming will not be a problem. You probably couldn't last, what, 11 seconds there, but hell, knock yourself out. Do it. Jerry Rubin used to say that, I think, back in the 60s. Another factor that might destroy all forms of life on our planet is the collision of asteroids. Now, what are we going to do about that? According to a popular theory, this is theory number two or three or four, dinosaurs were wiped from the face of this planet following an asteroid strike. This clearly shows that the relationship between them and the Earth is as old as we can imagine. That's the main reason why Elon Musk is determined to populate Mars with humans as soon as possible. He wants to preserve humanity beyond the scope of our planet by sending a million people belonging to different fields of life to the red planet to ensure that a balance of life is available. 
There are other considerations that receive very little mention in the discussion of climate change. Among them is historical facts. You know, those nasty little things that can screw up a theory. Let's take a look at emissions history, factual history. You heard earlier that the experts said, and I asked you to, rem to remember it, that we could not emit more than 70 billion metric tons of CO2 after 2015 to trigger the fatal 1.5 degrees Celsius increase. Remember that? Yet these same experts, their models project in August of 2020, the global surface temperature will be more than 0.5 degrees Celsius or 0.9 degrees Fahrenheit warmer than the 1986 to 2005 average, regardless of which carbon dioxide emissions pathway the world follows. So here comes the history and the facts. In 1946, the United States emitted approximately 15.5 billion metric tons of CO2 and peaked at 22.1 billion metric tons in 1972. In 2000, 28 years later, it was 21.3 billion metric tons and has decreased every year since, with 2017 resulting in 16.2 billion metric tons emitted. So we went from 22.1 billion metric tons to 16.2 billion metric tons. Pretty good, wouldn't you say? But to give you an idea of how far off the climate experts are, remember, since 2015, the planet, the entire planet, could not emit more than 70 billion metric tons of CO2. Okay? Here's your facts. Since 2015, including only the United States, China, and India, have emitted 72.1 billion metric tons of CO2 since 2015, which means we already missed it. We already blew by the 70 billion that we could not emit after 2015. Both China and India, two of the three largest carbon dioxide emitters in the world, were given a 15-year exemption before they had to begin remediation. Yet the United States is where all the fingers point as it pertains to polluters. We've done a tremendous job in terms of reducing 
the amount of carbon that we emit into the environment, yet you hardly ever hear of that. It, it's it's not right. Um, it it isn't accurate, and it's deceitful, plain and simple. And now we find there's a new study that shows that another 240 billion metric tons of carbon emissions can be tolerated by our environment. Three and a half times more than they said would be fatal. And that's about 20 years of emissions before temperatures are likely now to cross the 1.5 centigrade Increase degree uh, increase. So that's a difference between being not doable and being just doable. But not according to the facts, it isn't. Because if China and India alone continued their emissions average per capita, and remember, they still have another 10 years on their exemption, they alone will emit 110 billion metric tons of the 240, almost half the world's allotted number. And no one held them accountable for one day for that entire period of time at all. In fact, again, you're going to learn more about this when we get to the to the uh, third chapter. But again, Michael Grubb, for example, a professor of uh, international energy and climate change at University College in London, England, and a co-author of this study said two years ago at the Paris summit that all the evidence from the past 15 years leads me to conclude that actually delivering 1.5 degrees centigrade is simply incompatible with democracy. Let that sink in. Does that imply it is compatible with socialism? Because it certainly doesn't work with communism. And he recently told the Times, when the facts change, I change my mind. It's still likely to be very difficult to achieve these kind of changes quickly enough, but we are in a better place than I thought. Ain't that grand. With that, we've reached the end of chapter one. And remember, when you wake up in the morning, do the right thing the right way for the right reason. Thanks for listening.